listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode... 323. Guess what we have? What? Christmas merch. We have, oh, yeah. <laughs> we have a bunch of Christmas merch. And if you've listened to the show for any period of time, you probably remember uh, a few times when we talked about some of the people writing in from other countries that sincerely wanted to see if we could help them find a husband. And so we decided to put a Christmas shirt out there that says, all I want for Christmas is an oil-filled husband. It's kind of tongue-in-cheek. You have to listen to the show to understand why that's funny. Okay. Why don't they have one for oil-filled, all I want is an oil-filled wife? Um, how many people have wrote in and asked for that? I don't know. Zero. <laughs> <laughs> that's why. So if you want a shirt saying, all I want for Christmas is an oil-filled wife, then you need to have people write in and ask sincerely for us to help them find an oil-filled wife. And change the subject again if your company wants to do the baddest team building exercise ever in the industry reach out to me um, at the very beginning of next year so the very beginning of 2024 we have a major announcement for oil and gas this week that i can't tell you about yet but we do want to do it in front of a live audience and so if your company would like to get your employees together have some fun maybe uh, buy lunch for everybody have us do a live show and make this announcement uh, at your company's headquarters or whatever let us know i'm happy to share details with you i just can't tell you what is changing but it's awesome and we're all good and it's gonna make the show uh, even better if you can even believe that speaking of believing stuff we got a review shorta but it was more of a bit of concern you want to read it uh, yeah, I can't pronounce the name, so I'm not going to try. Hi, you haven't released a podcast in a while, and I, and I know there was an issue with a stalker just checking in that all is fine, and you'll be back on the air soon. So is he seen Lou Tan wrote in. So first thing, thank you for being concerned. Um, we've had no more issues with our stalker. Um, pretty sure that if we do have issues with our stalker between us and law enforcement, we'll, we'll handle it. If we need our audience to help, we'll, we'll actually reach out. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not doing that. No. But so far, we're, we're good. We did miss a couple uh, episodes because uh, we were busy with other stuff. Well, we were traveling a lot. So. Yeah. But the other thing is, this brought to our attention, is that if you listen to us on Spotify, and you've noticed the last couple episodes were not on Spotify, there was an issue with Spotify. Um, our production and our technology team have been working on it, and I believe as of about 10 10 o'clock this morning, which is uh, November 20th, they finally got it fixed. So that was the other reason that uh, he didn't see episodes on Spotify is there was an issue. Anytime uh, there's uh, shows missing, um, number one, thank you for the concern. Um, we, 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 that sincerely touched my heart. But number two, let us know just in case it's a technology issue, especially if we're missing a show on one platform, but it's not missing on other platforms. Yeah, because I think I had like my first, I don't know. 19 episodes missing on industry yeah. leaders so yeah and it's 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 tech problems that aren't under our control but once we know once we know that something's going on we can put our teams on and get it get it rectified uh ready to get the news stories yep first one exxon mobile drilling first lithium well in arkansas aims to be a leading supplier for electric vehicles by 2030 i am not i'm gonna try really hard not to make 
this into a joke about renewables and who's leading the charge. Um, but what better company than ExxonMobil to do something that nobody's ever done before, which is basically um, pull lithium out of what we, the audience, would call produced water. But we call it produced water because it's produced when you drill a well. Right. Uh, some people don't know this. That water that is produced, that is uh, have heavy metals in it, slightly radioactive, a lot of salts, including lithium salt, that water's condition is natural. That's how it is in the ground right now under your feet before you drill a well or anything else. And when you drill a, an oil well or any other type of well in the right reservoir, you hit that water, which is naturally uh, salt-heavy, uh, heavy metals, slightly radioactive. Um, when we pull it up, we drill an oil well, we call it produced water. Well, in this case, uh, Exxon in Arkansas is going to tap into that natural water that sits way below ground and that has everything in it, including those lithium salts, and they have a, a direct capture method. So they actually capture the lithium down hole, if you want to think of it that way instead of bringing it up to the surface and processing it. Then they're going to take the rest of the water that's left over, put it back in the ground just like we do, and they expect to be able to commercially provide lithium. And listen to this page. It's 70% better for the environment than the old way of mining lithium with a strip mine or even a, a deep hole mine. Oh, I don't doubt, doubt yeah. that for a second. And so. who else in this world has the scope and the reach and the engineering proudness to do this at scale other than ExxonMobil? So this is this is amazing. Um, they're Like I said, they use direct capture. It's a win-win for everybody. It's a win-win for the people in uh in Arkansas, um, because this is a bunch of long-term high-paying jobs. It's a win-win for North America energy security, because without lithium, you can't make lithium-ion batteries, and lithium is is constrained worldwide. Um, so, uh, I mean, this is just just can't get any better. Uh, there, lithium uh, is expected to quadruple in, in demand by 2030, which is only seven years away. And Exxon's going to be one of those companies that's going to uh, help meet that demand. By 2027, uh, they expect first lithium commercial production. Um, and by 2030, uh, Exxon ex- expects to be producing enough lithium to supply uh, the manufacturing need of over a million electric vehicles per year. So this is just fantastic work. Hats off to Exxon. Now, of course, the environmentalists are saying this isn't real, that Exxon is doing this to prop up their fossil fuel business. Back off and just appreciate them for doing something that nobody else could do. This is monumental, um, and it's just a, a great step. I fully expect not only other companies to learn how to do this as well, but I fully expect that somewhere very soon, other companies, and it may even be Exxon, will start using the same technology in produced water. So now you, now that produced water, which we have to pay to dispose of, will become a commodity. It's worth money. And once that produced water is worth money um, by uh, because of the lithium that you can extract from it, um, then all of a sudden you're going to see a lot of – uh, these issues with deep water, salt water disposal wells go away and actually have the opposite problem where people are fighting uh, for the produced water. So good job, Exxon. All right. Next up, pipeline opponents urge farmers to request corn checkoff refunds. I had to really go through this to understand what's going on. Okay. <clears throat> so in the, in the few of those square states in the middle of the country, we grow more corn than anybody else in the world. Iowa is one of those states. For the longest time, that corn was used to feed the world and for the to feed the U.S. Um, as things grew and matured, other markets became available for corn, including the production of ethanol, which is what's put into uh, gasoline to make renewable fuel. And you've heard me talk a million times how that whole system is flawed and it's not good for anybody, um, and that how the only vehicles that can run high ethanol fuels, the 85 fuels, are on the east and west coast, but the only place you could buy E85 fuels in the middle of the country um, are 
tax dollars go to subsidize everything I'm talking about now so uh, the ethanol production cannot hold up in a free market. It's also not good for internal combustion engines. And then I run across this. Paige pulled this out. The corn checkoff fee, uh, which is about $20 million that's generated every year for the Iowa Corn, Iowa corn Promotion Board. Um, this money... Um, this board is established by state law, and the collection of this money is automatic. But if you're a farmer that's in this jurisdiction and you don't like what they're doing with the money, you can request a refund. Which, if you think about it, how cool would it be for the federal government when you pay your federal taxes that if you didn't like what the federal government was doing, you could ask them bah. for a refund? I, I would be all over that, right? That would help regulate the market. In this case, as weird as this is getting ready to sound, one of the Biggest byproducts when you produce ethanol is CO2. It's part of the fermentation process, right? The yeast releases CO2 mm-hmm. when it converts those starches, I'm sorry, converts the sugars to ethanol through the process of fermentation. Well, that looks really bad from an environmental point of view. Not that I think CO2 is a big deal, but other people do. And so um, the the ethanol business in the future is dependent on being able to capture that CO2 and that CO2 coming out of an ethanol plant is highly dense. So it's very easy to capture, unlike what Exxon and Oxy are doing, which is just pulling CO2 out the air. Remember in the air, carbon dioxide is, is, um, uh, 400, about 400 parts per million. So 0.04 of the atmosphere is CO2, which means you got to remove the other 99.96 of the atmosphere to get to the CO2. In this case, coming out the ethanol plants, it's very concentrated, so it makes it easy to do. And then they want to move it in a pipeline like where other country, companies are already doing it and sequestering it in a reservoir like other companies are already doing. However, this board, which benefits the ethanol farmers, don't want them to build CO2 pipelines to sequester the carbon dioxide. So to make this ironically funny, the same Iowa Corn Growers Association who gets subsidies, who helps prop up this business for the corn farmers, and, and I love farmers, by the way, I just don't like this model being propped up by the government, are now fighting internally because they don't want to build infrastructure to capture CO2, which means that somewhere very soon, the environmentalists are going to look at U.S. ethanol production as, as something that's bad for the planet because it's dumping so much carbon dioxide into the air. <laughs> so the same people that are uh, proponents or that like renewable fuels, these biofuels, are getting ready to come down on the companies that are making it because they don't want to capture the CO2 and store, sequester it somewhere. Um, this is this is insanity on top of insanity. Um, this just goes to show you what happens when rules and regulations not only don't make economic sense, but also don't make common sense, and you end up having things like this happen. So this is this is a good find. I personally am going to keep my eye on this um, because this makes absolutely no sense no matter how you look at it, and I think things are even going to get worse for this. Well, that's not surprising. Um Oil could soar to record high of 150 if Israel-Hamas war ex- escalates further, World Bank says. Yeah, and I agree with World Bank. I think I've already talked about this before. In fact, my prediction should be out about right before this podcast comes out. Um, so if the um, if the the conflict between uh, Israel and um, and Hamas continues, uh, if it uh, grows and expands beyond the borders, the Gaza Strip, uh, you can have the other countries in the Middle East get involved, the other Arab countries. And if you're old enough like I am to remember when Israel first was stood up in the early 70s, um, what happened is we had the Arab oil embargo basically protesting and not selling oil to anybody that supported Israel. Um, 
And I remember being a little kid and you could not get gasoline. And back then, cars got seven or eight miles to gallon because gasoline was so cheap. Uh, gasoline was rationed. Um, you only get a couple gallons at a time, only a couple days a week. And it was really bad. It destroyed other. That's our, really scary. Yeah. It destroyed our economy. Um, highest rate of inflation, I think, ever was right after that. Um, it, it tanked a lot of research and development. It spurred a lot of. of um, investment into renewables. So that's when I, when I talk about renewables now, this is not my first rodeo. I remember in the 70s when the same solar and wind and getting rid of internal combustion engines and electric cars and bicycle-powered washing machines and living off the grid and all that, that was real popular back then because people thought that was the future. But that was based upon the lack of supply, um, which is a little bit different now. We now know that the hydrocarbons are unbelievably abundant. They're everywhere. Um, however, this war, if it grows, will then artificially limit the supply. So um, in this case, com this would be very comparable to the Arab oil embargo of 1973. We'd see the global oil supply shrink probably by five to maybe 10 million barrels a day immediately. That would drive prices up probably 60 to maybe close to 100%. It would be really bad for the world's economy. And it's in the realm of possibilities. Do I think it's going to happen? No. But do I think there's going to be something smaller than this large disruption, like a medium disruption? Absolutely, yes. And I think oil's going to hit $115, $120 a barrel uh, next year, unfortunately. Um, less hope that we can have some resolution to what's going on with the Hamas and Israel. As of today, November 20th, they're nowhere near close to even talking to each other. No. So I don't see anything happening anytime soon. Um, but I agree with World Bank and the fact that if, if, it, if it gets outside of the borders, $150 a barrel is, is in the realm of possibilities. All right. Uh, rural Texas, U.S. chemical plant fire extinguished. Yeah, so this is a, a petrochemical plant. Uh, um, one mile south of Sound Resource Solutions, or sorry, one mile south of, 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 of Houston. And what happened is one of the workers was there. They had 13 workers. This was early in the morning before the first shift came in. Was in a forklift, and he was moving some containers around, and he saw a blaze. Oh, it's that one. It's yeah. that one. Yeah. Okay. Um, Nobody got hurt. Thank Nobody goodness. died. Yeah. There was a minor injury of the forklift driver that I'm talking about. And the only reason he was injured is he grabbed a fire extinguisher to try to put it out. So he was responding to his training. He got some minor burns. He was home to his family that same evening. Um, once they um, got their people out, they locked down the population, the local population. Uh, people couldn't leave their homes. They got the fire. Yeah, there was a stay in place for a couple most of that afternoon. The, literally most of that day, right? So a shelter in place. Um, um, they had the local fire departments responded with the right chemicals because they were trained uh, by this plant to understand what would happen if a fire broke out. They quickly contained the fire. Um, we're still waiting to see what the cause was. Um, but like I said, nobody died and there's only minor injuries. Um, and the reason that's such a relief is not that long ago, they had a fertilizer uh, a plant in pretty close to that same place uh, south of Houston. Um uh, caught on fire, and they had 115 people deal, died, 106 people injured. So um, this is just good that nobody got hurt. I'm still waiting to see what the cause of the fire was. Yep. All right. Uh, USA EAI cuts ga gasoline price forecast. So this is the Energy Information Administration. Uh, this is the government branch that is supposed to um, help us with the data on our energy needs, de supply, demand, and new stuff, whatever. Right 
for the last for this last political administration or for our current political administration, I've made fun of the AI a bunch of re- bunch of times. Um, their timing of losing reports based on election cycles, uh-huh. the data in the reports, um, just is blatantly wrong. Now, this forecast right now is saying that the price of gasoline resident. Uh, uh, gasoline in the U.S. Uh, for the end of 2023 and for the first half of 2024, they expect it to go down. What they're smoking, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, the demand for gasoline in the U.S. per capita has gone down. Listen to me, people. The demand itself is going up like we all expected, but the demand per capita has gone down. Um, and the EIA is attributing that to the rise of electric vehicles. If you take all of the electric vehicles on the road right now, and if you operated them all at the exact same time, it reduces the U.S. gasoline demand by 0.5%. It's not even 1%. So it's obviously not electric vehicles. And by the way, people, I'm not, I'm not uh, throwing shade on electric vehicles. I'm throwing shade on the EIA for, for where their data is coming from. So uh, demand is going up for gasoline. Demand for capita is not. And you'll hear them say that, that demand is going down. It's not. It's the demand per capita is going down. It's not because of electric vehicles. Retail gasoline prices will go up. Um, they're starting to creep up now, and I think they're going to creep up another 12 to 15 cents uh, the first quarter of next year. Why would the EIA tell the whole world, especially the U.S. population, that gasoline prices so are going down? So they don't freak out? Is there something happening soon, like maybe oh, an election? election? Yeah. yeah. And and what's one of the things that influences the way people vote more than anything else? The price at the pump? Mm-hmm. So EIA, quit it. I busted you. <laughs> All right. Bureau of Ocean Energy Management schedules Gulf of Mexico lease sale 261. This should be like a, sh- a game where every time it, it's either uh, canceled by a federal judge or it's the overruled by a federal judge, you have to take a shot. This has been going yeah, back and forth. Yeah, we can make forth. a drinking game with this. <laughs> this for has sure. been going back and forth for years. Um, you know, the United States Courts of Appeal, the Fifth Circuit, uh, this past uh, November, just a few days ago, uh, said, you know what? Um, the last court that said you can't drill because of these whales are wrong. You actually will be able to drill, that it's by law. The final notice of sale is supposed to be published uh, November 20th, which is actually today. Mm-hmm. I haven't had a chance to check to see if it actually went out or not. Fingers crossed that it did. I haven't heard anything to the contrary. Um, this is ridiculous. This is using laws, using courts to tie up the ability to get drilling permits in a time when the world is still in an energy shortage, in a time when um, the lack of hydrocarbons on the market is affecting a lot of people, a lot of people here in the U.S., a lot of people around the world, during a time that there is two major conflicts going on Mm -hmm. in in oil-producing parts of the world. If anything, our present administration should be hurrying up people uh, issuing permits and helping them go out there and drill themselves. Um, you know, if you remember the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, um, part of that was they were, go- they were going to release leases in the Gulf of Mexico. That was to make the other political halves in the Congress happy. So they would pass the Inflation Reduction Act, which they did. Which they did. And then immediately there were challenges in court to quit the issue of the permits. So looks like, fingers crossed, as of today, they're being issued. Let's see how many of them go out. The other thing is, in this uh, political administration, all the uncertainty, I'm not sure I would start drilling even if I got a permit. I think I would grab the permits of the right blocks. And if I'm a major operator, I think I would sit on it for just a little bit and see what happens. Yeah, I think they're like three. They last three years. Yeah. So, so, um, so you know, thank goodness that these permits are finally being issued. Let's see what happens after. 
All right. So Trans Mountain re- resumes work on pipeline in British Columbia. This is another one that should be a, a drinking game. <laughs> this has been going on forever. Remember, at some point, the Canadian government actually had to buy this pipeline project to get it finished. Um, it looks like um, um, they're finally um, able to finish this expansion project. Um, they had some, it was about 80 meter stretch of the pipeline that uh, the environmentalists said that were. Um, that weren't following the agreed upon rules and environmental impact rules. Mm-hmm. So they had to go back and do another survey, get another group of people uh, to sign off the fact that uh, Trans Mountain has completed everything needed to. They're not impacting the environment with the expansion of this pipeline. And so they finally got a notice that they could resume work from the uh, Canadian Energy Regulator. Um, all the stuff that, that the environmentalists are saying that Trans Mountain was in, not in compliance is actually not true. They were in complete compliance. Um, but a stop work order was issued. Um, this should start shipping cu- uh, crude very early next year. It was actually supposed to already be up in production. Um, and then remember that um, um, <laughs> in a weird twist of fate, uh, Justin Trudeau's uh, government actually had to buy the pipeline in 2018 to make sure this expansion <laughs> went through. I could make so many jokes around this, but this would make a better drinking game. But I will say this much. Trans, Trans Mountain, thank goodness you're able to finish this pipeline as we're headed toward winter um, and be able to bring this uh, online to help the Canadian people make sure they have what they need to keep their homes heated. Okay. Uh, ExxonMobil to construct a green pet chem refinery in Indonesia with $15 billion budget. What could you do with $15 billion? Uh, retire. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um, and we probably could still build a petrochem refinery somewhere, in it, but it wouldn't be here. And the reason I'm making that joke is, would you really like this huge capital investment of a petrochemical uh, plant here in the U.S.? So we have the jobs, not just the initial jobs. Well, yeah, but I, I mean, to get it passed. That, to get, to get through the regulatory part of it is... A hundred percent. This is what I've been talking about, and you're seeing this is a perfect sign that our current political administration is making it so hard and so risky that uh, companies are going to take their investments outside the country. It's a darn shame that where the U.S. used to be the safest place politically for business to build infrastructure. Now it's not from a political point of view. Um, so Exxon's expect, uh, investing $15 billion in Indonesia. Um this uh, petrochemical plant's going to be brand new, so it's going to have a lot of the cool, all the cool bells and whistles and technology, including its ability to capture all the carbon that is produced. Um, the local Indonesian government is so happy that they're going to have these jobs um, that they've actually awarded Exxon uh, some special tax favors around this. Um, about 80% of the project cost of this uh, project is, is being picked up by cash from Exxon Mobil. The other 20% is going to go through uh, public-private partnerships, which means that local investors will be able to own a piece of this project. And then about 10% is going to actually come from the state budget itself. Um, this is, is a sign that we don't want to see continue, but unfortunately it will continue. Remember, when you build a refinery or ethylene cracker or a petrochemical plant, it's billions of dollars of investment. It takes 10 years from start to finish before you can actually turn it on. And then it's making money for another 100 years or so. Um, And if you're investing that much time and money, you need to do it in a place in the world where you're not worried about politics killing your ability to be profitable. Right now, companies like Exxon don't have that trust in the U.S. political system, and they're building their facilities and taking all this prosperity out of the U.S. Unfortunately. Yeah, this trend will continue unless we have a change in, in, in politics. Yep. Yep. All right. So the next one is LNG export p- capacity from North America is likely to more than double through 2027. Does it sound weird if I'm going to say we would be the best gas producer in the world? 
Kind of, yeah. <laughs> well, we are. We have so much natural gas in this country. It's it's under everybody's feet that is listening to this that are in the that's in the United States, in the continental United States, except for Hawaii. Um, the world needs it. We have the ability to uh, crunch it down to liquid and move it around. Uh, the constraint right now is other parts of the world need to build the infrastructure to turn that liquidified natural gas back into a gas and then or, or regasify it and then put it back into their existing infrastructure. Other parts of the world are frantically building that regasification part and those import terminals. Um, because of that, our LNG business is a lot of capitals being poured into it, and production of LNGs continue to grow. And like Paige said, it's more double output by 2027, uh, which is only three years away. And here's the funny thing. So I just talked about how politics are making it where large capex investments by major uh, operators and um, super majors and the petrochemical people are pushing those um, investments outside the U.S. from political risk. Neither political side in the U.S. has paid attention to LNG, and so they don't have the same political risk, right? So it's just this weird thing, even though it's still hydrocarbons, where where the, the risk is much safer to build LNG processing plants here in the U.S. than to build them other places. So let's hope that both political sides don't take notice of LNG. And, um, same way with uh, ethylene crackers. They're not taking notice of that, so those projects will continue to go and continue to keep those jobs and our prosperity here in the U.S. and... By us being able to export this much LNG, we're preventing bad actors in the world from using energy as a way to chokehold other countries. Very good. EcoPetrol CEO says, oil industry is future not threatened by energy transition. <laughs> I love this guy. So let me give you his quote. Uh, the oil and gas industry in this country, matter of fact, in the world, is not going to come to an end, Roa said. Um, and then he's saying that funds for fossil fuels will be key to finding, financing the transition to renewable energy where it makes sense. So basically, uh, their CEO, Ecopetrol CEO, says um, he's not worried about the oil and gas industry's uh, future. Like a lot of people say it's going to come to an end. Take that, BP. <laughs> um, he also is investing money into renewables, his co uh, country's money. However, he's investing money in renewables where it makes fiscal sense right. not just throwing money at it just because um, he is going to use some of the the profits made from their um, their hydrocarbon industry to help finance some of that um, but he's he says that uh, we're never going to end up where there's no oil and gas business um, that will always be around the world always will need hydrocarbons um, he's like sounds like a brother from another mother already um, so I love the fact you're doing this I agree a hundred percent I even like how they're handling the finances here um, the production uh, in Ecopetrol has actually went up every year um, it looks like uh, by the end of next year, they're, uh, internally, they're going to be doing about 725,000 barrels per day, which is actually pretty amazing because right now they're doing only about 700,000. So to go up to 25,000 more barrels per day in, in eight months is, is, a, is incredible, especially for a small country like this. I love what they're doing. Keep it up. All right. Now to my favorite article. Shell sues Greenpeace for $2.1 million after activists boarded oil vessel. Moment of silence to enjoy this. <laughs> there's, there's no way. This is awesome. Good job, Shell. And this is what they should have done, which I didn't think they were going to do this. I am so glad they, they did. Um, a couple of things that nobody's talked about, even in this article. So, number one is um, um, 
Shell offered Greenpeace a deal on the damages if Greenpeace promised never to uh, touch any of Shell's infrastructure projects again anywhere in the world. Yeah, okay. Greenpeace said no. Uh, <laughs> Greenpeace actually came back and said, I'll do that only if you comply with the 2021 Dutch court order to cut your emissions by 45%. Uh, Shell then turned around and said, you realize we moved out of um, – that area of the world on purpose. We're no longer a Dutch headquartered country because of stuff like this. And Greenpeace said, I don't know what to say. Now, <laughs> on top of the money that Shell is suing Greenpeace for, for the $2.1 million, and which, by the way, this isn't fluff. Greenpeace activists using uh, fast, small boats literally, I don't want to say attacked, but they swarmed. Uh, a shell, a shell, uh, a vessel. They use ropes to climb it. The vessel had to stop. They had to bring these activists on board for their own safety, then detour to go drop them off someplace. And this is all um, affecting the project that Shell was looking to because the Greenpeace activists basically caused all these delays and expenses. They had to have extra security and all the legal costs that Shell incurred for all of this. So. Shell's going, okay, we'll see you in court. On top of this, one of Shell's contractors who's also involved, this floor, who has a huge facility right down the street here, um, is also suing Greenpeace for $6.5 million. So if anybody understands history and 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 remembers uh, this um, radical organization called the Ku Klux Klan, no state and no governor and no federal part of the federal government could actually get rid of them, right? Um, they were white supremacists. They were not good for anybody. And yet, for legal reasons, they could not keep the Ku Klux Klan from growing its membership and doing what it did until somebody figured out that if you could sue them and bankrupt them, they would disappear, right? Hmm. Greenpeace, you're warned. <laughs> this is You're going head-to-head -head with <laughs> Shell, right? Shell is not going to stop. I know you have a lot of attorneys that work for you for free. Um, there is a difference in, in protecting yourself in global courts with attorneys that work for free with attorneys that are on your payroll. Right. So be warned. And, and by the way, I, I love what Greenpeace did when it started. It, it, it did a couple of things, right? It, it wanted to stop the air testing of hydrogen bombs, which if you're not old enough, remember that the world used to do that, literally take not atomic bombs, but bombs are way more powerful with way more nasty radiation side effects and just test them in the air to see what would happen. Greenpeace stopped that. Greenpeace also hated all the pollution that was being dumped in our oceans. They stopped that. All that stuff needed to be done. But then once Greenpeace completed its mission, it should have been disbanded. But it wasn't. It was so not So they're dismantled. always looking for something to complain about. And this is the end result of that. I would really like to see this go through. I'd like to see Shell and whoever else is justified in court sue Greenpeace. I'd like to see Greenpeace have to absorb those costs and then see if they can continue to function. I'm of, I'm of the thought that Greenpeace needs to downsize and concentrate on things that are really important to this world and not on things such as climate catastrophe and um, you know uh, hydrocarbon production. Yep. So, is that the last article? Yep. Okay. Uh, you heard me say this before. Sign up for our newsletters. You know what I did? What? So, I actually went and grabbed some of my family's recipes. So, my family has a 130-year tradition of uh, commercial chefs uh, cooking in very famous restaurants, actually owning restaurants in, in a lot of places, especially New Orleans, Louisiana. Um 
so I took some of our, our personal family recipes, and they're now in our Sunday update. Oh, awesome. So I put 21 recipes. So for 21 weeks, we'll get uh, Mark LaCour's family's recipes in the Sunday update, along with the coupons, the cost savings, everything else, which, by the way, it's dirt cheap to advertise in that, especially if you have a product or a service. I think it's 500 bucks to do a, a banner ad for a month, and that gets you four episodes. So if you want to learn more, all you have to do is go straight to the website, the OGN website, and you can buy that without talking to a salesperson. Just click a couple buttons done you're in the um, sunday update that which goes in front of twenty two thousand people every week a uh, weekly rig count where are we uh the united states is up two at 618 canada is down three at 196 uh internationally we're at 962 up 22 like seeing those numbers going up maybe go up faster than that uh, also while you're online go to our linkedin company page just sign up um if you want myself or our experts to come to your car club to your kickoff you want us to bring a live podcast and do a keynote you want to invite me to eat boiled crawfish <laughs> reach out to us let you us know. know which by the way um our lafayette mixer was awesome yep we've had a lot of great feedback on it. i've had several companies reach out to me so we're going to we have enough interest where we're going to continue doing the Lafayette. we actually met the uh new mayor of lafayette that right, was she just was won. the mayor mayor elect no she's she was, she was running. running yeah 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 so hang out with us and you meet uh um uh, Mayors. Future pol- political leaders. Mayor, <laughs> <laughs> mayors. All right, Paige, you ready to get out of here? Yep. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com. <laughs>